Right on. So we're in uh, Romans chapter 15. We're getting near, getting near the end of uh, the book here. And really, in a lot of ways, well, you're going to see this. This is kind of Paul wrapping up the letter. And then when we get to uh, Romans chapter 16, which we're going to be a few weeks away from because we've got Israel in here and, and Easter and stuff. But when, when he gets to it, it's just like his personal greetings at the end of the letter where he's like addressing specific individuals but so this is kind of really him wrapping it up and you know it's weird you dive into Romans chapter 15 and this is one of those spots where it's like I just don't like the break where they put the chapter divisions in there like ideally last week I just thought well we need to keep going through the first seven verses but we kind of Ran out of time. And so, you know, if, if it was my decision and I was putting the chapter breaks in, I'd put them in between seven and eight here. And so really, this really picks up right where we left off in Romans chapter 14. And so let's read the first seven verses and we'll just get our bearings again. And then uh, we'll dive in here. So it says this in verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So again, Paul just is right on this same theme of where we left off last week we were talking about Romans chapter 14. We were talking about how in the family of God, there are times when we are called to deal with issues between one another that just aren't black and white stuff. It just falls maybe into areas of, that, are, that are gray for us. And what happens, what happens when Christians have these areas of disagreement? That's what, that's what Paul's been talking about. What happens when we, we end up talking about things that have to do with someone's liberty or freedom in the Lord where someone else has a conviction and how do we walk through those gray things. And so some of the instruction Paul gave us was this. He said, don't, don't judge one another in the midst of that. You know, who are you to judge someone else's servant? He told us this to, to his own master before Jesus, each one of us will stand or they will fall. And he said this, and Jesus is able to make them stand. And so he said, you, you, you need to just give each other some grace. And at the same time, he said this, I shouldn't, we shouldn't cause one another to stumble, a brother or a sister to stumble over some issue that's, that lands in one of those gray areas. You know, you might feel that you have freedom where another brother or sister doesn't feel that they have freedom in that area. And so Paul said this, that, that if you're if you're destroying a brother or sister in Christ, well then that makes your privilege wrong. And so he's basically said this, and this is where we left off, that we're, that we're to pursue the higher calling of the kingdom. And that we're to use our freedoms to build one another up and not tear one another down. And so, you know, basically we saw, you, you can have different convictions about 
some things that land in gray areas. We have a lot of liberty and freedom in Christ, but we hold those things loosely and we hold them with an attitude of love towards one another. We put loving one another before some of the freedoms that we feel that we have. And so Paul continues along these same lines of thinking. And again in verse one, he says this, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You know, I think about this, I'm like, we all have this basic problem. And here's the basic problem. And I can say this because I have it. I'm selfish. You're selfish. (laughs) Yes, I see that hand. That's right, thank you back there. But the gospel says this, that, that we're called to live a life of love. And true love is not selfish. True love, you know, seeks to build up the other person. And so Paul says this, those who are strong are called to bear with the failings of the weak. Those who are strong in, in souls, strong in the good qualities of the Christian life, are called not just to tolerate, you know, other Christians who they may deem weaker. No, we're to encourage them. We are to take them up in our hands. We're to invest in them. We're to build relationship with them. And so when Paul talks about those who are weak, it means this, that though they follow Jesus, they have error in their lives because they're weak-minded or maybe weak in theology or, or weak in maturity in the Lord. You know, I just think back, I'm like, by no means have I arrived but I'm thankful for different times in my life for Christians who invested in me when I was weak in faith or weak with the mind of Christ. And, and like I said, not, not, not that you've arrived. You, no one ever arrives. But there are areas that each of us have had in our lives or maybe have going on where we need others to strengthen us, to build us up, to uphold us, to take us up in their hands and, and invest in us. And so Paul Paul says, look, that's what we're called to do. We're to to be concerned for one another. We're to care for one another. The strong should lift up the weak. And in verse two, he says this, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, as I read that to me, that like just widens the circle of whom we're called to serve. Not just the weaker brother, but our neighbors as well. And, and, I would say this, you know, never does this mean, you know, be a pushover by serving other people, but it means this, that for the good of someone else, for the good of a neighbor, please him, serve him. And so in our actions to our neighbor and to everyone, we're to do that which is good and seeks to build others up. And the ultimate example is, of course, Jesus. That's where Paul takes the the conversation in verse 3. He says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus put other people first. The servant, the servant of all. You know, you think about some of the conversation that Paul's been having. We know there's this this whole Jewish Gentile thing going on. We're going to see this more as we go through this text again. And and we talked last week about how there was these food issues in the church amongst the the Jews and the Gentiles and food being offered to idols and some people choosing, you know, not to eat meat and all of these different things. And 
And really the question is this, it's like, does a strong Christian think that they're making a great sacrifice by giving up some food or drink for someone else? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, and I, I think I felt like this sometimes, and so that's why I'm happy to share this, but sometimes you feel like, you know, you're insulting yourself by like giving up some sort of thing that you feel that you have freedom in. But here's the thing. I mean, measure what you think is sacrifice against what Jesus thinks is sacrifice. Now, for me, that's like, ooh, that hurts, right? I kind of have the wrong idea of what it means to lay down my life for someone else compared to Jesus. I mean, the, the truth is, is no sacrifice that you or I might ever make for someone else is going to measure up to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And so when we talk about laying down our lives and in our efforts seeking to please one another and build them up, I, could just say, I would just say this. You can never go wrong when you choose to walk in love and lay down your life for someone else. Paul told us, we saw in Romans 14, that when we do that, when we walk in love, we fulfill the law. And if we're seeking to please God, well then, you can't go wrong. And so, don't be afraid to insult yourself. <laughs> Lay down your life like Jesus did. Verse four says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So Paul says this to the church. He says that the Bible, the word of God, the scripture is filled with examples of people who laid aside their freedom, laid aside their rights for the sake of Weaker brothers or sisters in the Lord. Think about Abraham, right? Abraham said to Lot, his nephew, he said, I don't want to quarrel with you. I don't want quarreling between your house and my house. So let's not have that. The land is before us. You pick which part of the land you want and I'll take the other part of the land. And if you choose to the right, then I'll go to the left. And if you say left, then I'll go to the right. Or how about Jonathan? Jonathan laid down his life. He, he spoke well of his friend David to his father Saul. He even defended David knowing that David was going to sit on the throne of Israel rather than himself. Or then there's David, right? Who had the opportunity to kill Saul. And the Lord basically delivered Saul right into his hands. But David said he would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. Moses, the scripture tells us that Moses refused to be known as, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and instead chose to be identified with the Hebrews and he chose to be mistreated alongside of God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us that, that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to a heavenly reward. He was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the kingdom, for God's purposes. Or how about Ruth? You know, she chose her mother-in-law over her own people. She chose her, her uh, mother-in-law's God. She said, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Or there's Esther who risked her life and went before the king of Babylon in service to the, to the people of God. 
And so, you know, when you, th- you think about it, it's like, you know, this is what Paul is talking about. He's calling us within the family of God to say, hey, how can you serve weaker brothers and sisters in this area or, or neighbors? You know, I think this, I think, you know, who's kidding who? It's, it's pretty easy to become frustrated with people when you're, when, you're, when you're serving or you're trying to please some neighbor and maybe that person doesn't recognize that you're trying to, to help them or that what you're doing is you're trying to do for their good. And so it's, it's easy to become aggravated with error in people's lives or, or error in the weaker brother or sister's life. Especially when you're working to serve them. And so Paul says this, you need encouragement and you need endurance. When you're doing such things, serving others calls for a life of endurance. Like I just think of my lovely wife who's been patiently enduring me for 20 years, right? That's what we're called to do for one another. And we could think about people that maybe we're called to serve in our life. You say, yeah, but you're not married to my spouse or you don't know the kind of boss I have or you don't know the neighbor that I live beside, or you don't know what that person in our church has done to offend me. And what Paul says here is this. Well, you're quick. You're being kind of quick to forget how patient the Lord has been with you. You know, that's always a good reminder too. You know what Jesus did? He laid down his life for us. He embraced the cross. He embraced that which would lead to his death and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And that just reminds us this simple truth. This is what Paul is telling us is that you can endure in your situation, whatever that is in terms of serving someone else. You can endure what you're facing and God's, in God's word you can even find strength and encouragement and examples that will lead you to greater hope for your situation. So Paul says this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So again, it's like, you know why we can endure and be patient with people? Because God's been patient with us. I mean, think, if you were God, think for a moment, if you were God, would you be as patient with you as he has been with you? No way, man. Not me, anyways. If I was God and dealing with this punk right here. So Paul says this. In, in, in verse 5 again, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. See, the way to having a spirit of unity is to bear with the failings of one another. To bear with the failings of the weak, not, not living to please ourselves, but living for the good of our neighbor. And doing so with endurance. Holding on to hope that we, would, that we would gain hope and endurance through, like he said, the encouragement of the scriptures. And so I would say this, you know, whatever the issue is that you're fa- failing, uh, facing in life, you know, where you don't sense unity in a relationship or there's a struggle dealing with a weaker person. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's right in our church. Maybe if it's with some weaker brother or sister. Maybe it's with a neighbor. I think the word of God would just tell you this this morning. Don't give up. Whatever it is, hold on to hope. Practice endurance. Look for encouragement in God's word. 
follow Jesus and his example. Remember God's patience towards you and don't give up and don't give in. And, and when one of us fails, the example here is this, is that we, hold, we lift one another up. We hold one another up. We invest our lives into one another. Verse six says this, that you may have one, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I like this because he's talking about harmony. He's talking about one, one voice. And let's be honest, you know, we were singing this morning and, and it was great. Um, but the truth is, is that there's, there's some in this room, you know, Blake mentioned his dad <laughs> and his singing skills. And you know, there's some of us that just, some of you maybe, that have questionable singing skills. You know, if we were to leave you here on your own to sing by yourself, the, the cats would come and the dogs would begin to howl. And, and yet what we're called to do is, is to come together and to be in harmony with one another, to have, to have unity with one another. And Paul recognizes that even in the midst of that, in the midst of a group of people like us, the reality is this, is that sometimes life gets messy. People's lives get messy. Church gets messy. But something happens when we come together around the word of God. We lift up the name of Jesus with oneness of heart and begin to sing and lift him up and exalt the person and the work of Jesus. There is a unity that happens. I love the unity that happens amongst us. Like we've talked about the last couple weeks, this, lots of times church feels so much like family, doesn't it? Like, man, I love to be with God's people. We're the church. You know, I would say this, that's why you'll notice that when a, when a person begins to pull back from the body of Christ, begins to just stay away because maybe they've been offended or something's happened or something's ticked them off and they stop coming and gathering with God's people, they begin to experience and sense, man, I don't have oneness with, God's, with the heart of God's people. You know people like that, or maybe you've experienced that in, in your own life. It's not that when you went through that, or when we're talking about someone else, it's not that they don't love Jesus. It's not that their salvation isn't real. But by pulling away, by pulling away, they move away from the harmony of heart. They move away from unity with God's people and away from adequate spiritual protection. And so one of these encouragements here is, is, as we know, as we've been yapping about this church in, in Rome and the trouble that they had going on is this. Don't pull away. You know, don't give up. Be of one heart with God's people. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he says this, imitate Jesus. Jesus welcomed you. Welcome one another. Instead of letting issues become a matter of division, if they're just gray things, just receive one another in the same way that Christ received you. You know, I think about Jesus. Jesus welcomed me into his family knowing all of my faults, all of my weaknesses, knowing my strengths too at the same time, but he welcomed me in. And he received you knowing all your strengths, knowing all your weaknesses, knowing your faults. And he put us all together in one family called the body of Christ, knowing that our strengths and our weaknesses together would form one body that would glorify him, of which he is the head. 
And so in the body of Christ, we're called to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Now again, it's, you, you think about Rome here, right? And the, and the church and all the things that were going on between the Jews and the Gentiles and this was particularly relevant for them after all the things Paul's taught through the book of Romans. And so Paul goes on and he says this in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a, ser a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So Paul says this. Again, he, goes, he begins to go to this Jewish Gentile thing that's happening in the church. And he says, Jesus came, he served God's people, the Jews, and he did so to reveal to them God's truth and to fulfill the promises that God made to the patriarchs. Now it goes on in verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Jesus came to the Jews, but he also came to the Gentiles to reveal mercy to them. Now I like this because this is what this says. It says this, that Jesus came to the Jews and he wanted to reveal to them God's truth. And he came to the Gentiles and in Jesus the Gentiles saw God's mercy. God's mercy. And so Paul is putting before us and before this Roman church a vision of what God has for his people. One where there's harmony, where there's truth and there's mercy amongst one another. One where they can come together and corporately worship the Lord and the sound is harmony to God. Now again, I, you know, I just think, when you think about harmony, God's interest in harmony is different than ours. Like I just said, you know, some sing and the stray cats and the come and the dogs begin to howl because they can't ho hold a tune. But I would say this, to God, God's idea of harmony is different than our idea of harmony. We, we think there's harmony as we sing together with vo one voice in unison. And, and there is, but to God, his harmony, for him, harmony exists when there's peace and there's unity and when we're lifting up the weaker brother and sister in Christ. Paul says, this is harmony, church. Jew and Gentile together praising Jesus. Strong and weak together praising Jesus. In verse 10, he says, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Paul pulls out all of these just different scripture references here from the Old Testament, from the law, from the prophets, from the Psalms, all testifying that Jesus came for both the Jew and the Jew and the Gentile. He came as a Jew to the Jews and his objective was to reveal to them God's truth and to fulfill the promises made to the patriarchs. God promised Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. And so what Paul is trying to tell us is this, is that really it's this. 
that God is bigger than our small-mindedness. There you are, you're having your little spats. This gray area, and that gray area, this diet, this, that. And it's like, seriously? The kingdom of God is so much bigger than your small-mindedness. You know, in our small-mindedness, we like to think things like, God, God, you know, like, don't they know who I am? Or like, God came for me. We think things like, God came for me more than he came for that person. And Paul's warning them, don't slide into this narrow-minded, I would say pharisaical thinking about those who are around you. You you want to be really spiritual? You want to be really spiritual? Give another Christian a break, man. (laughs) Give a believer a break. Stop making judgments about one another. And say, so God's revealed some truth to you. And maybe he desires that you would give mercy to someone else. You get what he's saying here? Where his heart is? And so he says this in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love that title for God, the God of hope. And Paul's talking about that here. He's, he's, he's talking about the hope that you have. Has God filled your life with hope? Hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope is confident. Hope believes in the likelihood of success. And hope doesn't uh, derive just from like wishful thinking. No, no, the Lord himself is our hope. The psalmist said, my hope is in you. It's God who fills us with hope. And our hope is in his son Jesus. And hope is the cure for a heart that wants to give up in the midst of strained relationships. Hope is the antidote for being defensive. You know, hope is the remedy for being divisive. Hope is therapy for the person who wants to quit. And if you want to talk about hope and a situation that seemed far too gone for God's grace, all you have to do is think about Paul, who was Saul before he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And so I think Paul begins to to talk about himself a little bit here just to, to demonstrate the reality of what God's hope and what God's grace can do. And so he begins to share about his ministry amongst the Gentiles. He says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you, are, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. You know what I would just say? I love that verse because that, isn't that full of hope? It's like years ago, man, that church in Rome sucks. Those people there, I would never go to that church. If you move to Gibson's, don't go to that church. You know, that's not what Paul says. He, he says this, I'm satisfied with those people. Look at this is a strong believer holding up others in the kingdom. So they're my brothers. In Christ, I believe they're full of goodness. They're filled with knowledge. They're able to instruct one another. In verse 15, he says, But on some points I've written you very boldly by way of a reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that by offering, so that, sorry, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now remember Paul. Before he got saved, he was Saul. Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, the rabbi, uh, licensed to kill basically, licensed to arrest believers. And he was on a search and destroy mission against the church before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He persecuted those who followed Jesus. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he experienced the grace of God. He, he met the Lord Jesus. It was grace that saved him. It was grace that was given to him so that he could have a ministry, so that he could be the apostle to the Gentiles. It was grace in Paul's life from first to last. He got it. God's unmerited favor upon his life. And so Paul said this. Because of that, I center my ministry on the proclamation of the gospel. Now what's the gospel? We know this. It's good news, right? That, that God sent his son to save his creation. That Jesus came and gave his life on a cross. He died. He was buried. He was raised to life. He ascended into heaven and those that put their hope and trust in him and surrendered their lives to him receive forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. And Paul spoke of himself and he, he looked at the ministry of the gospel and he said this, he, he actually compares it to a priest who ministered, like an Old Testament priest, ministering before the altar of God. I would tell you this, that the preaching of the gospel is a priestly duty. Picture this in your mind. You know, when you share the gospel... Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your home, wherever it is. When you share the gospel, you are like a priest bringing a sacrifice to God and putting it on the altar, like at the temple. In the Old Testament, you know, priests help lead others to the confession of their sins and walk them through that whole process. And they acted as a mediator between God and men. And we know this, Jesus is our high priest. He's the mediator between man and God. But in the sharing of the gospel, you and I enter into the priestly function and role alongside of Jesus. And so what that tells me is this, is that there's a responsibility. There's a certain weight attached to living for Jesus. That's what Paul wants his church to know. You, you've been called to the priestly ministry of a soul winner. That is your sacred obligation before your high priest, Jesus. Serve him with devotion. Serve him with dedication. Look at what Paul says about this priestly ministry. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. See, Paul said, He's saying, he's saying this. He's not bragging about himself here. Don't think that. He's bragging about Jesus. He's proud of Jesus. Paul said, when I serve God, I don't brag and boast about what I've done. I boast in what Jesus has done. Well, if you ever think, I don't know how to do evangelism. I don't know how to share Jesus with people. I would just tell you this. 
Just boast about Jesus. Just brag on Jesus. Tell someone what Jesus means to you. Tell what's happened in your life since you met Jesus. Tell what it's like to have peace in Jesus, to have you know, freedom from fear or the hope of eternal life or whatever it might be. Boast in what Jesus has done. You think about Paul and, and the ways that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. He, he didn't do those things to make a name for himself. You know, if you want to make a name for yourself, there's way easier ways to do it than preaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus. Paul wanted to bring glory to Jesus. And so he bragged on him. Verse 18 says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Jesus Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Ocrelium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I love that about Paul. As he's like, as he's talking to this church and he's calling them for the strong to bear up with the weak, he says, now let's get down to what matters, man. Let's preach the gospel. Let's preach the gospel. Let's not let this division get us off mission. And so Paul speaks of his ministry and he says, you know, what, what's been accomplished through me has been done by the power of God. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered Paul to preach Jesus. And the Holy Spirit confirmed the preaching of the gospel by signs and wonders. He says this, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit. I love that. See, we should see this. What accompanied the preaching of the gospel? Words, deeds, signs, Signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. You know, I would say this. I just, like, I just hope that we will see signs and wonders accompanied with the preaching of the gospel in our church. You say, oh, well, we never see them. I'll tell you what. Yesterday, was it yesterday? Maybe it was Friday. I was out for a walk and I ran into somebody at the marina and they said, hey, you got that guy in your church who you guys prayed for and God brought him right to the doorstep of death and saved him. Neil, somebody referenced you to me in public in this community and they knew the story. And I thought, praise God. They said, do you guys pray for people? They asked that. I said, yeah, you bet, man. That's the power of the gospel. You know, we think about, you know, there's, there's lots of places in the world where God is confirming the gospel with signs and wonders, and it's like way more maybe prevalent than, than we experience here, but I, I just think it probably happens more than we want to recognize or sometimes acknowledge. And so when it comes, you know, I, I would say this, I just, I'm just like hoping, yeah, Lord. I was reading some cool stuff as I was just studying this this week. Here's one thing I read, okay? This pastor was writing about a church that he went to in London, and it was full of people who were formerly Muslims. And so he went to the pastor and he said, how do you have so many people in your congregation, like percentage-wise, this is unusual. What's going on? He said this, we have people all over the community and when we hear that a Muslim person is sick or ill, they report it to the church and we go to their house and we offer and we say, 
can we pray for you? And all we do is this. We just tell them, but we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. Then we pray for the sick, and that's it. That's all we do. Pray for the sick and go. And you know what? God works in the midst of that. Some of them have miraculous things or something happens in their life, and then they want to identify with the body of Christ, with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so when it comes to serving Jesus, I guess I would say this. What, what we need to remember is that our, our goal is not signs and wonders. Too often that becomes the goal. Our goal is not signs and wonders. Our goal is to see people saved. Our goal is to see people discipled. And God wants to confirm his word with signs and wonders. You know, I would say this. If you want to see signs and wonders, just get busy sharing Jesus. Get busy preaching the gospel. It, God will confirm his word. Be about the word and the deed of the gospel. But you know, I would say this to you too to encourage you. You know, remember John the Baptist? The Bible never records John did any miracles. John, John never performed any signs or wonders that we read about. And when Jesus spoke of John, he said, John is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he said, here's why John is the greatest. Because he is a herald proclaiming my coming. He, he, he preached the gospel. And so look, just go share with someone. You know, this week, just brag on Jesus. Share the gospel with someone. And maybe you don't know how to do that. I would just say this too. Here's another thing. Just invite them to church. Come to church. Come to church with me next Sunday. Whatever it is, we'll try to make sure they hear the gospel. You know, when you think about signs and wonders, I just think sometimes we also don't give credit where credit is due, you know? We have seen the resurrection of the dead in this church, spiritually speaking. You know, I've been raised from the dead, brought to new life in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. I was dead and now I'm alive. And the same is true for you. That's a miracle that God can do that, that a man or woman could be born again. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's a miracle, to cross over from death to life. And so Paul says in verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I would encourage you to look for places in our community where the gospel is not being preached. You know, where are the spots in Gibson's where there's no representatives of the gospel? Where's the spot where Jesus is not being preached? Find the spots, find the one that no one is ministering to and that no one is serving and maybe the Lord will give you grace to go and be the person to serve there. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Verse 21, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. And so Paul just tells this Roman church, I've wanted to come and see you guys. I've had this plan for years. I've desired to do so. Uh, at this point in his ministry, he's writing from the city of Corinth. Paul had never been to Rome 
on any of his uh, missionary journeys because he had always been aiming to head to places where no one else had been to preach the gospel. Verse 23. But now since I no longer have any I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Some church legends kind of claim that Paul went to Spain and that he even went as far as uh, Britain preaching the gospel. But there's, there's no historical record of that. I don't think that he made it that far. It's unlikely that he got past Rome. And Paul talks about his ministry and his desire to go to places. And, and he says, I, basically, I've exhausted the area of the east, he says. So I want to head west of Rome. And it's not like Paul had visited every single little nook and cranny of the eastern end of the Roman Empire, but it's this. His strategy was this. He would go into the major cities, Colossae, Ephesus, Thessalonica, all these different cities that we know. He would plant a church, he'd establish leadership there, and he would move on and he would leave that church to evangelize the the surrounding area. And so he's done his work. It's pretty amazing. And we know this, he's going to get to Rome. And the beauty of his trip to Rome is this, is it's going to be an all-expense-paid all, all trip. The book of Acts tells us about that. just comes with a set of chains and a, a guard attached to him. So he's going to get to Rome. But he says this, At present time, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So if you want to check this out, you could go to the end of the book of Acts and you can read about this, about the last, about the last five chapters of the book of Acts. So this is where he is. In his life story. So at present time, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now the saints in Jerusalem at this time were like deeply impoverished. There had been a famine in the Holy Land. They were ostracized religiously. They were ostracized as Jews by their Jewish brothers and sisters because they were seen as traitors turning to Jesus. And so in the early church, it was tough in Jerusalem. It was a tough place to serve Jesus. Uh, We see in the book of Acts that the people were selling their property and they were helping support one another because it was so hard to serve Jesus in that city. You know, maybe they got kicked out of their jobs and Who knows what happened there? There was lots of persecution. And so the amazing thing is, is that as Paul has been talking and as this whole book has had this animosity kind of overhanging it between the Jew and the Gentile, Paul talks about the Gentiles in Macedonia and Acacia who took up an offering to help their brothers and sisters, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and they entrusted it to Paul. And so Paul was taking this offering to Jerusalem they, the, the, the Christians in Macedonia and Acacia were practicing the very things that Paul's talking about in this chapter. Verse 27, he says, For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, 
I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 27 is a super cool uh, verse. He says this again. Uh, For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. I was reading yesterday that uh, I just, I like to read some Israeli news, especially since we're like going there uh, next week. And uh, not excited at all. And I read that they said that this past year, uh, and this was a Jewish newspaper reporting this, that Christian believers had supported financially 8,500 immigrants to Israel. Jews making aliyah, the return to the promised land, that Christians had paid for and funded it. And it was a Jew writing the article, and they're saying, yeah, it's kind of like, we don't really know how to interpret this. Are they trying to be helpful? Are they like apocalyptic crazy people? Like, what's the deal with that? You know, I remember uh, one of the trips we did to Israel one time, I just made an announcement. I just said, I read this verse to you guys. It said, if you want to be a material blessing to believers in Jerusalem, we will take whatever financial gift you want to have and we'll just pray and we will ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and we will give that money away to believers in Jerusalem. And we did that. You guys gave a thousand bucks and it was like, it was just Lisa and I on that trip. And we carried that money and everywhere we went, we said, God, lead us. Lead us for where you would have us to give this money away. And we were at the garden tomb and we felt prompted by the spirit of God to give to that ministry because that, that is the only archeological, uh, evangelical archeological ministry in all of Israel, the garden tomb. And they, they uh, have no financial support they just they let people come for free to the garden tomb and we thought man let's bless this right in jerusalem and we gave that gift from this church so cool and so paul paul says this there's an obligation upon us we have been beneficiaries of the blindedness of the jewish people and so we have an obligation to them to serve them materially and you know paul as he's going back to jerusalem i mean again you can read about this at the book of acts This did not go well for him. It went well for him to bring the gifts to the church. But what happened was the Jews gathered against him. They they were suspicious of him. Very suspicious of this man who had once been a Pharisee and now a Christian and off doing these missionary journeys. And what is he doing in the temple? And you know the story of Acts. They accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple, man. A riot erupted. He was arrested. And so this led to problems for him. Yeah, he's, he's going to get to Rome, but it's not going to be like he planned, a, you know, a, a stopover on his way to Spain. He's going in chains. And so Paul closes this part of the letter with a, recre- a request for prayer. In a lot of ways, this is the end of the Roman letter. Like I said, between, except just the, the minor greetings at the end here. And so he says this, he asks for prayer. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, 
so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's incredible to read this and think about the lens of Acts and what actually happened when he went there. He was received by the saints. We know that he took a Nazarite vow. He shaved his head. He, he did all sorts of things because he wanted to have an appeal even to his Jewish brothers and, and sisters. And so he asked us, he said, pray that I will be rescued from the unbelievers. This is amazing to just think about this. He knew there was danger in Jerusalem. And the danger for him would come from those who did not believe. We know his nephew came and told the Roman centurion, there's a plot against Paul's life. There's 50 men who vowed they're not going to eat food until they kill him. The book of Acts. So Paul asked for prayer in this area. He says this, pray that my service will be acceptable. Paul also, Paul also knew that, that the church in Jerusalem was uh, a conservative group in the sense that they were Jewish. They didn't necessarily understand his work and his church planting and his preaching of the gospel and all the work that he was doing amongst the Gentiles. That he wasn't, you know, some of them probably viewed him as not a good little Jewish boy. There he is working amongst the Gentiles. And so he said, pray that the church will understand the work of my ministry and what's been going on. And, and then he says this, pray that I will be able to come to you with joy and that together you would be refreshed. You know, I think about the book of Acts. It tells us that for a couple years, Paul was under arrest in Rome. That once he had finally been, you know, taken from Jerusalem, shipwrecked on that island, and then eventually in Rome, that he was under house arrest for two years and that the believers in Rome were coming to him and that they had great times of fellowship and Paul teaching them, even though he was under arrest. I just think, wow, you know, the Lord fulfilled this, this desire right here. Didn't play out how he planned or how he hoped. Pray that I will be able to come to you with joy and together that you would be refreshed. And so besides the personal greetings of Romans chapter 16. This is really the conclusion of this letter to the Romans. And I, I, I just find it really encouraging when you just think about what Paul has been calling them to. To not strive against one another. For the strong to hold up the weak. For them to remember the example of Christ. To be about the work that really matters. The preaching of the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus. Bragging on Jesus. And then from there, you know, whatever the Lord wants to do, the Lord wants to do. And so I, I love really verse 13. To me, it's kind of almost like the close and the blessing of the letter. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to pray that for you this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your church. I pray, God, that we would be the strong who bear with the failings of the weak. Lord, that we would have great love for one another. That we would have great love for our neighbors. God, that we would walk in that love and seek to honor you in that. And Lord, I pray that the name of Jesus would be upon our lips. Lord, I pray that we would be a group of people who just brag on Jesus.
all the time talking about Jesus. Lord, may your name be found on the lips of your people. I pray, God, that you would fill us as a church with hope. With hope, Lord, that you would fill us with joy and peace as we trust you and seek to walk with you. I pray, Lord, that we would overflow with the power and the hope of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray a blessing over your people this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.